tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. We've had several polymaths on this show, from John Favreau to Matt Ross and Warren Beatty, who are as at home in front of the camera as behind it. And Stanley Tucci certainly falls into that category. An actor, writer and director who's been involved with countless critically acclaimed works of film and television. Among those we'll discuss are sleeper hit Big Night and box office smash Beauty and the Beast. Stanley's latest project is Final Portrait, starring the sensational Jeffrey Rush and Army Hammer. It's based on the true story of the time American journalist James Lord sat for world-renowned artist Alberto Giacometti. Critics, and we agree, it's a charming delight. I'm Edith Bowman, and you're listening to Soundtracking, a weekly podcast dedicated to the sounds of the screen. Now, given the 1960s Parisian setting, there were plenty of opportunities to play around with the idiomatic French music of the era, but Stanley was keen to avoid cliches, complementing the familiar sounds of accordions and chanteuses with Evan Laurie's whimsical score. As I mentioned, the premise of the film is a simple one, neatly encapsulated by Lord's opening line of dialogue. In 1964, I was a young writer living in Paris. I'd written a few articles about Alberto Giacometti, who was one of the most accomplished and respected artists of his generation. I'd become good friends with Giacometti and his brother Diego, and one day after an exhibition, he asked me to sit for a portrait. He told me it would take no longer than two to three hours, an afternoon at the most. Stanley Tucci, welcome to Soundtracking. We're going to talk about music, if okay. that's all right. Yeah. Can we start with Final Portrait? Because uh-huh. what's wonderful about this film is being able to delve into the music of that time in that particular place. Was that fun to decide on? You know, we just tried to find a few things from the period that were really classic examples of that period, like almost shameless examples yeah. of that period. Because I wanted to set the stage in the sense that Lord says to his uh, lover back in New York, he says, oh yeah, Giacometti's going to paint my portrait. He said it's going to take, you know, an afternoon or something. And so then we have this very kind of quintessential, almost cheesy Parisian accordion music (laughs) from the 1950s, 60s that takes us into Giacometti's studio.
then the music is abruptly, the rug is pulled out from under yeah. your, your, like your, your, your oral feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, from then on, for the most part, it's score. And it's Evan Lurie who wrote the score. He's a brilliant, brilliant composer. And it is distinctly different from this because we think we're getting 1960s Paris mm. and then we're just not getting yeah. that. We're in this sort of sepulcher of creation. <laughs> periodically when they step outside you'll hear this quintessential yeah. Parisian stuff après le bac le slow pour que ça reste chaud je sais ce qu'il nous faut c'est du jazz à gogo tous ceux qui l'aiment bien et moi qui l'aime bien on va chanter ensemble pourvu que ça balance That was fun to play with the to, to, to juxtapose those two things. And and deliberate, I imagine, in terms of that, because when you're in his world, it's kind of stark. Yeah, and and I I like to use music judiciously in a film. I don't like to use a lot of it, but sometimes it's really necessary. And, and obviously, if it's, you have a great composer like Evan, it's very helpful. Who you've worked with before? Yes. When you're writing and directing a project, at what point do you start conversations with your composer? Uh, usually in the editing process. Sometimes I can hear the music pretty clearly, what, kind of what I want. Um, and I'll use a lot of source music, too, but also source music can be very expensive, too, so we had to be very careful. We didn't have a lot of money. So the source music that we used was very inexpensive for this movie. We also used a piece from um, a band called um, Paris Combo, 
that I started listening to many years ago, and I just think they're incredible. And we were able to buy this one song and use it during a montage. Mm. That's a mix of sort of contemporary and classic French dance hall music. Yeah. And that part of the process comes usually during the editing. Si ce n'est pas le vent du changement qui vient souffler de l'air à mes ailes, ce n'est pas un courant d'air que j'attends pour m'envoler jusqu'au ciel. J'ai besoin d'un petit vent bien pressant pour me donner de l'altitude et savourer tout en plein dans cette idée de plénitude. With this movie, I had great difficulty figuring out, when I wasn't using source music, what the music was going to be. And luckily, I went to Evan, and, and he started sending stuff, and it ended up being wonderful. Most of it was done via Skype or FaceTime, because he was in the U.S., and yeah. he would just send me pieces on my iPad, and then I would listen to them, and then we'd have a session over FaceTime yeah. or something, you know, and neither of us are very sort of good with technology, so it was, <laughs> took a while. <laughs> I know that this book was with you in your 20s that introduced you to this whole event that unfolds in, in the film, but through your research, did you come across Giacometti reference music at all or know what was around him? Yeah, it's interesting you asked that. I looked for that, and I never found mm. any... He never spoke about music. I don't think music was really a part of his life. Yeah. I know that I was lucky enough to go into the... Um, the warehouse where his stuff is stored that the Giacometti Foundation oh, wow. has. And it's, I can't tell you, what, huh. it was incredible to see these rooms filled with his stuff that no, no one may ever see. Why well, um, get out there? Why is it not on I, show? I don't know. I don't quite know. I'm not quite <laughs> sure. Um, but the only thing I saw in there was an old radio from the 60s that obviously had been in either his bedroom or his apartment. Because a lot of his stuff was in there. You know, yeah. there, there, was no, there were no records, there was no record player. There's nothing that talks about him going to concerts or going to anything like that. He yeah. was, I think he was completely disinterested. So it was hard. I think that might have been one of the reasons that, you know, I couldn't figure out what it was supposed to be. Yeah. And I, you don't want to make it cliched using music of that period. That's just yeah. way too easy. Yeah. I mean, I used it as a sort of joke in a way yeah. when I use it. But other than that, you, you, so it has to be its own individual thing, which is what Evan... Created, yeah. yeah.
how did that relationship start? I met him through my friend Steve Buscemi, who had used him on a number of movies. Yeah. And Evan ended up doing a movie I did called Joe Gould's Secret. And I'm just a huge admirer of, of, of his. I think he's an extraordinary musician. When I watched The Big Night, Gary Dim Michelle did the music for that. So yeah, like, yeah. You hear music before you see anything. It's a Roman Stornello, I think. It's it, yeah, wonderful. At the beginning, yeah. <laughs> From doing this, I pay much more attention to music now than than I ever did, and I love that I do that. But from watching the film again, you can't quite place that piece of music. It's yeah. It encompasses quite a lot of different cultures and traditional music within it, which I think is wonderful. Yeah. For the film oh, as well. Good. What were the conversations with regards to the big night and music as well? Because there's not loads of music in it. Again, there's these little pockets of, yeah. of color. Well, and we used a fair amount of source music. Obviously, we were able to use some of Louis Prima stuff. Well, this is 21 years ago, and because it was an independent film, you could get things inexpensively. We could never afford that stuff today. It is time to say goodnight to Napoli. Though it's hard for us to whisper with that old moon above the Mediterranean Sea. In the morning, Senorino will go walking where the mountains of the sun come into sight. And by the little jewelry shop, we'll stop and linger while I buy a wedding ring for your finger. In the meantime, let me tell you that I love you. Bonaceda, senorina, kiss me goodnight. 
Buonasera signorina, kiss me goodnight Buonasera signorina, kiss me goodnight And then those ancient Stornelli, and then there's one in there that's like a 13th century beggar song or something that we use. It's a guy talking about fish, but actually it's over a montage of people making pasta, but no one knows that (laughs) until now. There's a classic theme that runs through this, and it's ancient. It's that through through the Italian music, which is that that so that's in the Stornelli. That's even in some of the early, early, early stuff, and it takes us all the way through to Louis Prima. When you listen to Louis Prima, every song, you know, after a while, you're like, really? Couldn't you come up with something else? But that strain that was really important for us to try to take that strain and bring it all the way through. Oh Marie, oh Marie, oh Marie, oh Marie, and your arms, I'm longing to be, longing to be, mm, baby, baby, tell me you love me, tell me you love me, kiss me once while the stars shine above me, shine above me, hey, hey Marie, hey Marie, oh Marie, oh Marie, and your arms, I'm longing to be, longing to be, oh baby, oh baby. Tell me you love me. Tell me you love me. Hey, Marie. Hey, Marie. Hey, Sammy. Come here, boy. Where Marie? Where Marie? Where Marie? One was on her. She's a birthday. Farm under me. Farm under me. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, 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 no. The brachata. Oh, no, no, the brachata. Brachata. Oh, no, no, the brachata. Oh, no, no, the brachata. Come on, boy. What's the matter? Oh, no, no, the brachata. One was on her. Do you listen to music when you're writing? Yeah, mostly jazz. I love jazz. Some classical. Do you think about what you're going to listen to before you write? You know, not in terms of making a playlist for what you're writing about or whatever yeah, and stuff, yeah. but do you make... You yeah, yeah, it depends on the mood I'm in. Sometimes I want something a little... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I had enough of that. 
Do you remember what the films were that had a lasting impression on you? Where you recognised the music? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I think. Uh, Not recognise the music, but yeah. you, you recognise the importance and the, the place that music had within the film. Yes. Yes. Well, Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> How can you not think about that? Yeah. It's probably one of the greatest Lovely. scores ever. The Marx Brothers movies, the way they used music, like I think Groucho's songs, but also the way they integrated music into the into the films is really funny and weird. We've spoken a couple of times over the last couple of days, and the Marx Brothers have been a constant reference point. Yeah, They're, I love the Marx Brothers. That's the dream. Yeah, Marx Brothers, <laughs> Buster Keaton. Yeah, you can't. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like the simplicity of those times as well. In terms of the comedy, was just so wonderful and, and yeah. simple, and and didn't rely on much apart from great performances. Yeah, exactly, great performances, and they were, you know, they were vaudevillians. I mean, it was, you know, you turned the camera on, and then they did their thing, and then you turned it off. You know, <laughs> it's pretty good. But I think also there was a lot of social commentary and political commentary in there, which, if we look back on it now, is really important. Ah, oh, this meeting brings back memories. Childhood days, lemonade, romance. My life was wrapped around a circus. Her name was Lydia. I met her at the World's Fair in 1900, marked out in 1940. Ah, Lydia. She was the most glorious creature under the sun. Thais, Dubai, Gabo, rolled into one. Lydia, oh Lydia, say have you met Lydia? Lydia the tattooed lady. She has eyes that folks adore so, and a torso even more so. Lydia, oh Lydia, that encyclopedia. Oh Lydia, the queen of tattoo. On her back is the Battle of Waterloo. Beside it, the wreck of the Hesperus too. And proudly above waves the red, white, and blue. You can learn a lot from Lydia. I said Lydia. We said Lydia. They said Lydia. We, we said, said Lydia. Lydia. Na, na. 
We had Bill Condon on the show. Oh, my God. Uh, what a lovely man. No, he's the nicest man. And congratulations on the enormous worldwide success of Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I, I imagine for, you know, when it, the discussions were first happening, there is a risk element there in terms of recreating something very different to the original that was so loved. But to do what he did with it and what you guys did with it as a cast was just yeah. exceptional. Yeah, he's pretty extraordinary. I mean, he can kind of do anything. He can kind of direct anything. He kind of does, yeah, doesn't he? Yeah, it's very impressive. I love the surprises that he throws your way of kind of what he does next. I know, I know. What are your memories of that? Just what, the best week of my life. <laughs> you know, it was, week, it was just a week. It was just a week. Yeah, it was just a week. You know, the, we just I did a day of recording. Yeah. And then we were on set for a week just shooting those, those little bits. Because yeah. we're really just live action at the beginning and at the end and then the rest is just me doing a few lines and they animated the thing so I you know for me it was nothing I mean Emma and Dan were there for months you <laughs> yeah, <know? laughs> yeah. but it was really fun because I got to see Ewan McGregor again whom I love and yeah. got to get to know Emma Thompson and it was and um, Sir Ian it was yeah. just great fun that's Aud like a Audra. dream dinner party Oh my God, <laughs> we laughed so hard. I have to say, I couldn't wait to go to work every day. I actually spoke to Ewan about it at the Edinburgh Festival, Film Festival, a couple of years ago. We did yeah. a big Q&A and he told this wonderful story about when he went into the sound booth to do his stuff and there was, you know, maybe 20 people through mm. the glass just watching him. Terrifying. And they wanted him to do French, but it was a quite a specific French. You know, he's like, I live French, my wife's French, you know, kind of. But as soon as he started talking, he sounded Mexican, and so he was just kind of like <laughs> terrified, and he could feel the kind of pain in these people's eyes of looking at him, going, "And um, we'll be back with you in a second And going, "What is he doing?" It's like, this is really terrifying, and he says it's actually quite healthy to be in that position where you are scared and you are kind of going, "Oh my God, am I going to get this right?" Yeah, and then he had to sing with a French <laughs> yeah, accent. Yeah. yeah, that's even scarier. Maestro Cadenza, are you ready? Oh. oh, another cavity. Maestro, your wife is upstairs, finding it harder and harder to stay awake. She's counting on you to help us break this curse. Pleasure that we welcome you tonight. <clears throat> and now, we invite you to relax. Let us pull up a chair. Your dinner. What was your response when you sat down and watched the film for the first time? I loved it. I, I couldn't believe the scope of it. It was pretty profound. But also when I walked onto the set, we walked onto the ballroom set. That was my first day. I could not believe what I was seeing. And I've made, like, way too many movies. And I was so impressed. I felt like a kid again when I saw the beauty of that set and the, the magnificence of it. It was really astounding. I felt like I'd never been on a movie set before. And they couldn't have done the music without Alan. It had to be Alan. Oh, yeah. Brilliant.
play an instrument? I was a drummer, yeah. Were you? Mm. I would not have had you down as a drummer. I don't know why. Really? <laughs> Jazz <laughs> drumming? I don't know. I started taking lessons when I was probably about 10. And the guy who taught me was a guy named Walter Pikarts. But I was taught military drumming. So what I was taught with was just a pad and solid stainless steel sticks. They were quite heavy. So once you work with those, then you move on to a sort of regular drumstick. Your hands are twice as fast. So I, I mean, I was quite good at obviously all my rudiments and all that <laughs> stuff. And I could read sort of complex military marches and stuff like that. And then we moved to the kit. And I played through high school. And then after that, I really sort of didn't play anymore after that. You've got to I play. played at my wedding. Did you? Yes, my, my, when I, to my late wife I, yeah. I played, yes. You've got to play drums on one of your movies. Not maybe in the yeah, movie, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna, but, but maybe to, like on the, the score. No, that would be painful. It would be terrible <laughs> for everyone. I, I reached a certain point, a certain level, and then I kind of didn't go any farther. So I have to take lessons for it again. Stanley, thank you so much for your time. Um, I really look forward to, to watching Feud, but also seeing what you, you bring to us directing-wise next as well. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you so much. A girl went back to Napoli Because she missed the scenery The native dances and the charming songs But wait a minute Something's wrong Mambo Italiano, eh, Mambo, Mambo Italiano, go, go, go. You mixed up Sigiliano, all you Calabrese do the Mambo like a crazy with a, eh, Mambo, don't want a Tarantella, eh, Mambo, no more mozzarella, eh, Mambo, Mambo Italiano, try an enchilada with the fish bacala, and eh, I love how you dance a lumba. But take some other advice, Paisano. Learn how to mambo. If you're gonna be a square, you ain't gonna go nowhere. Hey, mambo, mambo italiano. Hey, mambo, mambo italiano. Go, go, go. You mixed up Sigiliana. It's so delicious. Everybody come capisce how to mambo. Nice. <clears throat> From the soundtrack to Big Night, that's Mambo Italiano by Rosemary Clooney, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with the fabulous Stanley Tucci. My huge thanks to Stanley for joining us. Final Portrait is on general release around the world now and is a real understated gem. You can find the full track list for this show by heading to edithbowman.com where you can also subscribe to this podcast and catch up with all of our previous episodes. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and please do spread the word amongst your mates if you like what you hear. Next up then is a gentleman who's part of one of the biggest bands in the world but has just accepted the challenge of his first film score. We're joined by Radiohead's Philip Selway. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. Mm -hmm.